our scripture reading, we turn to Ephesians chapter 3. One thing to note, this is the, I like the end of the first half of the epistle. As is the case with some of Paul's epistles, you see that there's a more of a doctrinal section and then follows a number of exhortations. In the beginning, you don't have much as far as, uh, ap- as, far as exhortations. And then you get to the latter part of the book and there's a series of exhortations that are related then to the things that are said in the beginning of the book. Uh, Now in this specific uh, uh, third chapter, one thing to note is how at the beginning he talks about his knowledge. He talks about his knowledge of the mystery, what's been revealed to him, and his calling to make that known. And then towards the Then towards the end, he talks about how he prays that that the saints might know. So he's teaching them and praying that they might know. And it's that latter part that we consider in this passage. We just consider specifically verses 18 and uh, the first part of 19. But we'll read the chapter. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory for this cause I I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures. 
And the text we consider is verses 18 and the first part of 19, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that characterized the Apostle Paul also in his letters is that he would write some of these long uh, involved sentences, which were going to be quite difficult at times to be able to put together and how to, how to break it down. Uh, and here we have this section where he talks about what he's requesting and he says he's praying for them. And we read that he says he bows his knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he starts making known what he's requesting in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. And some of the things that he makes reference to in that request is one, that he's desiring that God would strengthen them in the inner man. We see how his concern for them is, is spiritual. That his desire for the Ephesians is that Christ would strengthen them. He's teaching them and he's praying for them. Teaching and praying. You see how that applies? That applies to the, to the ministry, the minister teaching the word and also praying for the church teaching in catechism, and also praying for them. Teachers in the school, teaching the children, and praying for them. Parents in the home, teaching the children, and praying that they might know, that they might understand, that the Spirit might work in them, that they might be strengthened in the inner man, Concern for spiritual things. That's his desire. He also mentions what we have in the text we consider this afternoon. That he desires that they might comprehend and know. They might know the love of Christ. The love of Christ that passeth knowledge. Literally, the way that reads is that you might know the surpassing knowledge, love of Christ. That you and I might know that. Know its breadth, length, depth, height. That you might know that. That's his prayer. And that's our prayer. It's my prayer. It's your prayer for one another. For us together, that we pray for one another requesting this. Now, on the one hand, one might read that and think, well, we do know. We know he loves us. And that's true. It's true that we do. And yet also, there is growth on that. And notice specifically that what he prays for is that we might know Christ's love. The same one who's dwelling in us loves us. The same one who is our husband loves us. The same one who is our head, he loves us. And we're to go through the day conscious of that. Our husband assures us of his love for us. And certainly there's an application there to husbands expressing their love for their wife. That their wife 
goes about the work of the day knowing her husband loves her. But we know, as Scripture tells us, when it says we are to husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that directs us to Christ laying down his life for her. Scripture also speaks of how Christ keeps assuring us of his hearty love for us. And that that applies to husbands towards their wives. You can make an application of parents towards their children. Giving instruction, praying that they might understand that instruction, and also showing them showing them love, showing them compassion, and slow to anger. We look to God for the grace to do that. This afternoon we consider the love of Christ for us. We consider, first of all, united with him. <coughs> Secondly, we consider knowing his love. And thirdly, praying for this, knowing the love of Christ. The passage speaks of our union with Christ. It makes clear, as all scripture does, that salvation is all of grace, that these three chapters set forth very clearly that idea that salvation by grace is by grace alone. It really doesn't take that long to read these three chapters. And the amount of detail that's set forth in them concerning unconditional election, salvation by, by grace alone, that we were dead and he's quickened us, uh, that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, the fact that he has redeemed us, he is the cornerstone, he's the foundation stone, and we are living stones on that, on that building, and that we forever will dwell with our God, has been set forth in, the, in these chapters. This specific chapter has talked about how the Jews and Gentiles together are now having revealed to them something that had not been made known before as it is now. And we talked about that. It's not that you don't read about the salvation of the nations. You do read about the salvation of the nations in the Old Testament. But it was now, especially after Pentecost, especially after the pouring out of the Spirit, that now the saints were, now was being proclaimed and taught in the New Testament, more so that uh, clearly that idea of the union, Jews and Gentiles, in one body, Jews and Gentiles studying together, learning about the will of God for them. God's will concerning their salvation, the secret counsel of God concerning their salvation, Jew and Gentile together. It's interesting, this chapter also talks about things that the angels desire to look into and brings out also that there's a, a unity of all things in heaven and earth in Jesus Christ. And we think of our relationship also to the angels, and that's brought out elsewhere, elsewhere too. All of grace. And that Christ who died for us, who redeemed us, whose property we are, who owns us, we're not our own, That Christ dwells within us. And that's mentioned right in the preceding context when it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ dwelling in your hearts, that when the Spirit of Christ is in us, Christ is in us. <clears throat> Christ pours out his Spirit. We understand that Christ ascended into heaven, received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, pours out the Spirit upon his body, the church, and when Christ's Spirit is in us, that's Christ who is in us. 
Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. By one spirit, we are baptized into one body. Sometimes the union between Christ and us is referred to as the mystical union. You may come across that phrase. We often can use the word mystical in a negative sense, but there are that the union of us and Christ is sometimes referred to as a mystical union. Mystical meaning in this sense, a spiritual reality, not something that's visible to the eye of the body, and it does surpass our understanding. And all, so although there may be those that wonder if maybe there's a better term to use than that, that term has been used to refer to the union that we have, that there really is a union between us and Christ, who is our head. It's illustrated by the, the idea of grafting. We're engrafted into him by faith. We have that in Lord's Day 7. Here we have Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Sometimes it's the head and the body idea, that he's the head and we're the members of his body. Really, we are. Or you think of the, of the husband and wife union, and then we're told Christ is our husband and we are his bride. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. There is a union between Christ and us. That's amazing. To know that, that that really is true. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I live. Yet uh, not I says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's Galatians 2.20. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that verse is related to the verse that we have here. There's a number of places where you see things taught in Galatians and Ephesians that go together, and of course elsewhere as well. But Christ, Christ being in us, that that is reality. That we are justified, we are sanctified in Christ, we say about our children. The idea that it's not anything we do. It's not on the basis of some activity that we've performed. We confess we believe that when we stand up and are holding an infant. Subject to all miseries, yea, to condemnation itself? Yes. You think they're, you believe they're sanctified in Christ? Yes. Sanctified in Christ. They're members of his church? Yes. And ought to be baptized? Yes. That's what we say. Well, that infant didn't fulfill some condition, and yet they're sanctified. They're holy. They're holy in Christ. It's all of God. Now we become aware of this. You know, in the baptism form, we say, without their knowledge, partakers of the condemnation in Adam, and also without their knowledge, without them being consciously aware of it, being grafted into Christ, sanctified, justified, sanctified, sins washed away, they're not consciously aware of that. Yet God works in us so that we do become consciously aware of it. He assures us of that. 
he gives us assurance when it says here that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith well the spirit works faith in us and those in whom the spirit works faith which is knowledge and confidence are aware consciously aware of the fact that it really is the case that Christ is in them and they have a sorrow for their sin not only that they have a conscience but also that it is the case that we are con we are aware of the fact that God loves us that Christ loves us that Christ is in us that we belong to him that not only to others but to me also salvation is given merely of grace only for the sake of Christ's merit but the spirit works that in us and we have that assurance and when it says that that Christ dwells in your heart by faith it brings out the idea that those in whom God works faith are conscious of the fact that Christ dwells within them it also brings out too that we are to seek Christ himself as opposed to just seeking something from someone there's a difference between loving someone and just seeking something from that person and it's not simply that we come to Christ seeking something from him but it's also that we seek Christ himself and we receive Christ and all his benefits we love him we seek him we come unto him we believe in Jesus Christ who is both God and man united in the one person of the son of the son of God now this specific passage is speaking about knowing his knowing his love knowing his love specifically how do we know that well that's mentioned in our confessions is something that God infuses into us You know, on the third and fourth head, and we've looked at that a number of times, the third and fourth head, air number six mentions what I've mentioned a number of times, the faith, obedience, and a consciousness of his love. And we look at it now from the viewpoint of that third one, that he infuses it into us so that we know he loves us. We know that the scriptures do not speak of God loving all human beings. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God hates all the workers of iniquity, the scriptures say. Think of Psalm 5, 5 and Psalm 11, 5. And we point to verses like that. They point to the fact that God does not love, he does not desire to save all human beings. He does not give grace to all human beings. Well, how is it that some people know that God loves them? Well, God infuses it into them. And for proof of that, Romans 5.5 is quoted. Romans 5.5 that says that God has, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, poured into it. And so the idea is that it, God, the consciousness of his love has been infused into us. We know he loves us. Now, also, the preaching of the gospel is constantly a preaching of Christ's love for us. Now, that, that is good to remember, too. It's central for the preacher to remember that, that 
The preaching of the gospel is always going to be about Christ. Sometimes you may be preaching a passage that specifically mentions him. We recognize that it's always the case that the scriptures are speaking to us about Christ. And specifically about his love. His love for us. As is set forth in the fact that he has died for us, but also his love for us, who, he who dwells now within us by his spirit, that he will provide us with what we need, he will lead us, he will strengthen us, he will comfort us by his spirit, he loves us. And that is constantly to be set before us. In our minds, we very quickly turn to the troubles that we experience. And there may be times where we have a number right in a row. Maybe a time in our life where things seem to be going pretty good. We have certain times like that. And then we have times where it seems like one after another we have a number of difficulties and we feel very stressed. Sometimes we even say that. It seems a time of much stress right now. And we know it is what is we need to hear is that Christ loves us and that he is in us. The one who loves us will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And we are to be assured of that. And the Lord's Supper, see how this connects to the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, what we have in the Lord's Supper and the explanation of the Lord's Supper is so closely connected to what is set forth in the preaching of the gospel. You know, that we partake of Christ. Christ dwells in us. You know, what is it to eat and drink Christ? What does it mean to eat his body and to drink his his blood? What does that that mean? And we talk about how it means to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ. And we know we're righteous in Christ. We don't have our own righteousness. We're righteous in Christ. But it also means to be more united to him by his spirit who dwells in Christ and in us so that though he's in heaven and we're on earth, we nevertheless really are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. The marriage union is brought up. And in connection with that, it makes a specific reference to his love. The Lord's Supper form does. That is, as often as ye eat this bread and drink of this cup, you shall thereby, as by a sure remembrance and pledge, be admonished and assured of this my hearty love and faithfulness. His love and his faithfulness. Our husband who loves us is faithful. We have a faithful husband that we might be assured of his hearty love and faithfulness, that whereas you should otherwise have suffered eternal death, how important it is for us constantly to remember that, that you and I should otherwise have suffered eternal death, eternal. I, our Lord says, have given my body to the death of the cross and shed my blood for you. So then it talks about what he has done. He has shed his blood. He has given his body. He has shed his blood. Then it talks about what he is doing. And as certainly now, 
feed and nourish your hungry and thirsty souls. I'm really doing that, our husband said. With my crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as this bread is broken before your eyes and this cup is communicated to you. The bread is broken before your eyes, the cup is communicated to you. And it's passed around and you receive the cup, it's given to you. And you eat and drink the same with your mouth in remembrance of him. Assured of this, my hearty love and faithfulness towards you. That, that is what Christ assures us of. And we confess his love surpasses knowledge. The love that we might be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breath? And it speaks then of the breath and the length. So you think of it this way, the, the breath and the length, say, and then looking at it from this direction, the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ, the surpassing knowledge. Surpassing knowledge, love of Christ. Say the boundless. And when we search the scriptures as we study the word, and when you talk about the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and you say, well, the love of Christ is boundless. We sing that. It's, it's, it's boundless. Boundless is his love, we sing in Psalter 318. His mercy is forever. That's a similar phrase. Interestingly, in the book of Job, where you have that idea of breadth and length and depth and height, in Job 11, verse 7, says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? This is so far one of the men that's talking to Job. It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? And then he makes that reference. High as the heaven. Deeper than hell, longer than the earth, broader than the sea. We've been going through this as the, with the young people and been pointing out that Job's three friends in the sections where you see the things that Job's friends say, they make a number of statements that are true in themselves. But the problem was the way they were applying things to Job and the, and the fault they were finding with Job is where, is where there were problems. But it isn't that everything that they said was wrong in and of itself, but how they were applying these things to Job in a number of different places and what they were saying he was, you know, he was, he was guilty of. But we take note that that passage there brings out that idea, height, depth, breadth, length. And then when you consider how we talk about how God boundless, boundless is his love. And that we are to continue to search the scriptures with our mind on that. We're not to doubt. We're not to doubt his love and his faithfulness. When Christ has assured us of his love and faithfulness, we ought not doubt his love and faithfulness. That certainly is true. That in times when we're worried, times when we're doubting, the question is why are you doubting his love? 
Are you doubting your husband Christ's love? Christ who has assured you of his love? Are you doubting his love? Are you doubting his faithfulness? Certainly we are not to do, we are not to doubt. We're to be, we are, Christ assures us of that. And we know it's true. And it's good for us to confess that we know that. It's also good for us to read what sometimes has been called his love letter. That the scriptures has sometimes been referred to as Christ's love letter to his bride, the church. And then the illustration. You've likely heard the illustration before. That you think of a woman who is, say, engaged to a man who loves her. And he writes her and writes her of her and talks about his love throughout the letter. And you imagine if she, loving him, is eager to read that letter. And perhaps she reads it over and over again. Perhaps let's say that they're separated for a time. And every now and then she gets a letter and how she, she looks forward to it. And she wants to read it. That's the way we're to read the scriptures. That Christ is speaking to us of his love. Our husband who dwells within us. And although he is in heaven and we are on earth, the spirit is in Christ and in us. We really are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And we look forward to the full realization when Christ returns, when our bodies are raised. We long for that. And we know that's coming. We know that is coming. And everything we read in the scriptures constantly to go back to the subject of Christ's love for us. That even when times are difficult, even when we're in prison, you know, it's interesting that Paul was in prison. We talked this morning about Jeremiah being in prison. And now we read a chapter about Paul being in prison. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you. That even when things are quite difficult, even if we are thrown in prison, we know that God loves us. We know God has before ordained the difficulties we go through in this life. We know that we will have trials. Scripture speaks of the trying of our faith, being much more pre that being much more precious than of gold than of gold that perishes. We know He loves us. We know we look in the Scriptures and we read of that. We think, well, it has been the case in the past that God's people have gone through trial after trial, and the Lord has been with them. That we read of these things and we talk about how you can see the love of God. God provided for his people. He cared for them. And in whatever trials we face, we know that he's really with us. We are assured of that. And we are assured of his love. We love him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. We're assured of Christ's love for us. And those assured of Christ's love for them, we love him.
we love him who first loved us. And then that is manifested in loving those that are fellow members of the body. That we view one another that way. We're fellow members of the body. That's, re that's reality. And we think of Christ's love for each of the other members of the body. And then we want to show our love for Christ, showing our love for those that are in Christ. As Jesus said, when you've done this to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Unto me. Well, we really are in Christ. And we're showing love to other members of the body. And that's what we want to do. We want to express our love. We want to express our thankfulness to our God. And we pray. We pray that we might know this love. We do know we desire to grow. We desire that we ourselves might grow. And we desire that others might grow. And now we bring it into the context here that Paul is saying that he bows his knees unto the Father of Christ. And it's good for us to remember, always connecting everything with Christ. God is the Father of Christ. God is become our Father for Christ's sake. He's the Father of Christ. We're in Christ. And those in Christ, we call God our Father. And we pray to our God. And we pray in Christ's name. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he would grant you. According to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened by his might in the inner man. That ye might know the love of Christ, the surpassing knowledge love of Christ. That's his prayer for the saints. And how important it is that we pray for one another that way. It's important that the minister who brings the word then also prays for the congregation that way. Or that teaches the catechism instruction and prays for the children that way, that they might know. And how important it is in our parenting to remember to make known to them the mystery. Paul speaks of how he knows the mystery and then he's, he's making this known. You could say the scriptures speak of the secret counsel and will of God. And... Christ reveals to you that secret counsel and will of God, and then you're to tell your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. You're to tell others whether you have children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whether you're married or whether you're single, that you have opportunity to bear witness to others and to pray, desiring that God might strengthen his people in the inner man. We need him to, be, we need him to strengthen us in that inner man. And that we might know his love. Now you put that connection... When you think we love him because he first loved us, well, then that means, as, and we want our children to love Christ.
Christ. We want them to love God. And that brings out how important it is for us to bring forth to them how Christ loves them. Because as they're assured of that, as they come more to know that, that Christ loves them, then they love the Christ who loves them. And that is so central in all of our instruction. And it's good to try to connect the things that we study in whatever we may be studying in the schools. Everything connecting to what God tells us concerning his secret counsel and will. Because the different subjects that we study are related, connected, related to what we read in the scripture. And as we go through each day, and we have work to do, it applies to our life in that every activity that we do we're to do to the glory of God as those who are thankful for what he has given us. And we talk to him throughout the day. There's some times where we have the Bible specifically open. There's other times when verses come to the, our remembrance. There's many times we don't have the Bible in front of us. We may not even have the Bible with us. But we remember what he says, and we talk to him. We can talk to him wherever we are. And we look to God for the grace as we go through each difficulty that we face, that we keep calling out to God for grace. Pray without ceasing. Paul's prayer was that the saints might know that surpassing knowledge, love of Christ. And may we pray for that, too. And pray for that for the coming generation, too. Which then brings out how important it is for us to be talking about the word in our home. And it brings out certainly how important it is for the fathers to be searching the scriptures themselves that they then may be able to bring up subjects and relate them to the things that we read in the word. And how good it is for us to talk together not just when the scriptures are open, not just at the devotion time, but for us to talk about the love of God for us, the love of Christ for us, and that the children see that mom and dad talk about these things. They certainly notice that, even if it may be that at the moment they're, you know, they're goofing around. Mom and dad are busy talking back and forth about things and they're not following perhaps what is being talked about and maybe they're, you know, carrying on and this way or that, but they, take, they look back and they think, I remember how often that happened. And it also it brings out how the parents need to try to bring the children in, recognizing at times, okay, the children, depending on their age, how much they can understand. And as they get older, they often do ask questions. What are you two talking about? What a joy that is, too. For us as parents or grandparents to hear you children or young people or young adults asking us what, what we're talking about. And for us to talk to you and then also hear your thoughts on these things. And we together talk about Christ's love for us. 
that we may, as those who stand in awe of our God, that we might praise him, and that we might show to others our love for Christ, and that that's what we like to talk about. You know, when somebody loves something, then somebody loves someone, then they like to talk about that person. And as those who love Christ, we like to talk about him. And may we do so. May we think on what he has told us. May we discuss these things together. And may we be diligent in the work. And may we go to God for what we need. The chapter ends by saying the words of praise to God. Unto him, it says now, unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above. It's quite something to have those three words right next to each other. Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think unto him. It's able to do that according to the power that worketh in us. In us. His power working in you. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, and our Father, we are so thankful for thy love that thou hast shown us, so thankful for the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, grant us grace that we may grow in our knowledge, that we may be strengthened in our faith, and that we might live unto thee. And that as we go forth in the rest of this day, and also in this week, that we may honor thee, and that we may express our love to thee in all that we do. Grant us that grace, pardon our sins, comfort all thy people, for Christ's sake. Amen.